2: other people i always like to think that people get like trapped in the car or something having to listen to this and then i I don't want to listen to this and then hello you who's being forced to listen to a podcast against your will this is our little show called leaving hillsong and it's all about leaving hillsong my name's tanya and today we've got one of the og leavers my next guest needs no introduction I've waited my whole life to say that. However, just in case Rick Van Winkle's listening in and doesn't know, I've been under a rock or in a cave somewhere. I've known this man for nearly 40 years. And throughout that time, he has done nothing but support me, help me, inform me and encouraged me. And at the time he did it, it was a big deal. Jeff Burke was one of the original Hills Christian Life Centre
0: pastors.
2: He was the music man. And I knew him then I was only a kid I was 14 and 15. And on and then Jeff left Hillsong in 1995. There's a very cool story of how we ran into each other in 2005 randomly when I had started writing People in Glass Houses. I had been looking for Jeff everywhere, but I'll get him to tell that story later on. It's incredible. I started writing then, and um, I actually can't name anybody else who has been that public who has supported me and stood by me publicly, consistently, faithfully. I mean, in 2005, we ended up sitting down and he told me all the stories then, stories that people are still too concerned to talk about. Jeff's done a few interviews and... His story is, you know, it's the standard leaving Hillsong treatment, only, you know, to whom much is given in Hillsong. Much will be punished if they don't toe the line. And Jeff was punished hard when he chose to leave. His reputation was threatened. His CDs were crushed. Hillsong hierarchy did everything they could to ruin him personally and professionally but guess what he's the same person so i said to him "Look, let's do something different let's you know let's talk about other stuff and so it was funny because we sat down and we just started talking this isn't planned this isn't uh scripted or we, we just started as you hear later on jeff will Join me again, because just got to talk about stuff. Get that history out there, because no one else is doing it. A lot of those OG boys are still there. There's only about six of them. Anyway, so, yeah, this very pod turned two. It was the second anniversary of the launch of this pod on the day that we interviewed. So I've been saying this is your birthday present and I didn't really make a fuss about the first birthday because I kind of forgot last year. So that should give you some indication of what kind of parent I am. This is all just, uh, this is as close to a genuine conversation that you can listen into as we get. I really hope you enjoy a spiritual milkshake. This conversation is a bit of a milkshake as well. Grab those snacks, get comfy. Whatever you want to do. Here's the wonderful Jeff Bullock talking about talking about a spiritual milkshake. Hi, Jeff.
1: How are you?
2: I'm good. I'm good. I'm so excited. You know, I've waited so long
1: to say hi, yes. Jeff. Well, well hi, Tanya. Yes, no, it's been a long time and it's been a very interesting journey for me since I decided to, the time silence was up. And so uh, I have... I've been wanting to do this, and I'm glad the opportunity's finally, finally arrived.
2: Well, you've been to everybody else's party, and um, I've waited very patiently, and...
1: Look, look to the- be honest, I needed to wait until I, I had sorted out my my theology about the whole thing. I know that we can't just talk about the notoriety and the sensationalism and, and court cases and things. For, for people who are who are grieving and suffering from the implosion of this this empire, they need to know that there is a scriptful way out of it. Even if they want to dismiss the Bible, you don't have to feel guilty about God. God didn't abandon you. And in the end, I suppose scripturally they abandoned God, which they're not going to like. But uh, you know, like let's have a that can have a could they could they oh i'd love
2: to i mean there's there's very little encouragement to pursue a to pursue scripture unless it's this is the verse i'm using today no i just remember it being okay go home pray read your bible and now there seems to be just go home and pray for the church
1: yes uh, look for me in our conversation before we fresh record, this is only recently, I, I realized that the Bible, however you want to see the Bible, to a Christian organization who is, whose mandate is to represent the Bible, and in the end because it's called Christian to represent Jesus as the Christ, the Bible has to become their constitution. It has to be the very foundational document which everything is built on. And therefore, if you take the Beatitudes, then that has to be Jesus' preamble to this constitution. Now, the Beatitudes, if you want, me to, I'll just give you a bit. He goes and it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are they of me, for they inherit the earth. We have a Christianity that's built on spiritual power, prophetic power, apostolic power, muscular men uh, and women, rest up to the nine and the prosperity of God. That is not a spiritual poverty. A spiritual poverty is one where your need of Christ is all that you have to do anything. If you do it any other way, then it's, it's then you're breaking the preamble to the constitution. Do you follow what I'm saying?
2: Yes, it, that's, that's lovely, and uh, because it seems very simple. Isn't this the kind of stuff that people have had wars over for centuries, though? The interpretations of, of the Bible. Well, but, no,
1: I'm just saying it is simple, it's just simple if if. If you want to have a church and, and be a minister of Jesus Christ, is what Brian would like to say. then Brian says, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." Brian, if you are teaching the kingdom of heaven, then you need to be bringing people to a point where it's not that spiritual pride, spiritual arrogance, spiritual egotism, uh, spiritual mumbo jumbo. It's it's about it's a, it's putting the whole thing into reverse and. I'm not explaining myself very well. But, um, no, you
2: a, are absolutely What I'm
1: saying is that if you look at, at Hillsong, I cannot see a, a habitual, continual and encouraged practice of a recognition of our inabilities, our poverty is a bad word, our inabilities, our humility, our meekness. Our, our, our mourning, our sadnesses that, that have to be met by God advancing on us rather than us advancing the kingdom on God. So in the end, all religions present you a, a ladder, and if you keep climbing the rungs of the ladder, oh, obviously you'll become more prosperous, you'll become more powerful, you become more charismatic, you'll probably get a very pretty wife, and and somehow you'll make it into heaven. That's not Christianity. Christianity is heaven has to come down, find you, find in the in the all your problems, and you have to be taken And this is, this is a whole problem that we've got. We, we keep thinking that it's all our fault, that if we're not being blessed, it's something we're not doing. And, and that's the antithesis of the teaching of Jesus. The teaching of Jesus is, listen, When you really understand me, it's when you've got nothing to offer and I've got everything to offer for you. So how about you just pop into my arms and I'll give you a cuddle?
2: Can we? It's a bit, that's a bit, Jesus is my boyfriend kind of stuff, you know. You are the songwriter. You are the music maker. I'm going to stop you, sir, right there. Sounds like you've known... uh, brian houston for a while can i throw you right back to i don't know you tell me 1980 something how did you Jeff boys how did you find yourself at that place
1: well i i um well, i mean you I, were normal
2: right you were normal before this
1: i was you? an old guy I, I was a normal guy i went to private school i grew up on the north shore of Sydney. I was an intellect. I've been a musician since I was seven. Uh, I had a really good cultural upbringing and, and I was a spiritual milkshake. And so how it came about. What does well, that mean?
2: What's the spiritual spirit,
1: milkshake? A spiritual milkshake. I was interested in Whatever you want to put in the milkshake, you know, the carol, the cream, a little bit, a little, little new age, a little bit of astrology and, you know, a little bit of spiritualism, and I was very interested in spiritual things from a very, very early age. And a friend of mine who became a, an Assemblies of God pastor, what he was part of Hillsong initially, as the first associate pastor, I called Michael Smith. And he had a, a salvation experience that totally changed his life. He took me along to Christian Life Center Sydney in 1978, November the 18th, 1978, and I went forward on a born again all to call, and joined the club.
2: How did you know Mike?
1: Well, I met Michael because he was going out with my sister when I was 16, so this is what we used to call fourth year, so this is 1972. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, that's just, yeah. some, you know what I mean, it's like one of those great obvious stories of how ACDC or Silverchair formed or something, you know? Well, look,
1: it. if if you really want to talk about the beginnings of Hillsong, it started long before... Brian Houston left New Zealand. It started with just a bunch of people getting together and being a part of Frank's church. That when Brian arrived, the relationships were already there. That,
2: some which relationships? What other?
1: There were there was Michael Smith and myself. There was a guy called James Halliday. There was James's mother and father-in-law. There was a whole lot of people from. Such was around the, the North Shore, as well as everything else that happened.
2: The so you, uh, you were there before no. Brian?
1: Oh, yeah.
2: Okay. And Frank was at the helm.
1: Yeah, for, Frank was this funny guy in a white safari suit. And if anybody my age will remember the Minister for Immigration, Al Grasby. So he was a bit of like Al Grasby. He'd Google Al Grasby, look, select images, and you'll get what Frank looked like. And, and he was big. I mean, I... I I grew up in Sydney's North Shore and started to see Frank uh, prancing around the stage like some old-time board of billion master of ceremonies telling these very wildly hard-to-believe stories. But at the same time, the buzz in the room and there was a sense of belonging and a sense of community, and there was something really crucial nothing like what it's become now. It was very, very old-time Pentecostal. And so for a spiritual milkshake, it was easy for me to pull out most of the ingredients and just, I was left with one.
2: How'd you been raised? But your family, their, you know, religious
1: I, My parents were married in 1950. It was my father's second marriage. I came along in 1955 my sister in 1957. And they did very well financially and they built a modest house because of those days, you didn't flaunt your prosperity. I mean, we didn't put on planes together. We never, we never got them on liners. We didn't stop at Versace, and we didn't have garage sales to get rid of them. Just a little nudge there. And my sister Jane and I—we was sent. She, she was sent to Ravenswood. I went to Knox Grammar, and so all our friends were part of the North Shore. Their parents were part of the North Shore business community, and we had the influence of a private school education, and. We had a, an upper middle class upbringing. And I suppose in a way, there was an intellectualism about it. And my father was a very remote man. And my mother was, I suppose because of his remoteness, and she was always seeking attention. And so mum was a type of person that needed to love mom you and have you all herself to heal her lack of affirmation. Maybe it was from dad or whatever. And of course, that was remote. So I think in my own life, I was always looking for father figures, which just sort of. And along came Frank uh, and then Brian.
2: I don't know if you know, you know, many other people have spoken, some of them on this very show that, you know, that sense of belonging that stands out because there was something not there. In their own lives,
1: there's something lacking, like, and you suddenly arrived, and you were instant. I can remember the when I walked into the foyer, we were meeting in the Kuala Motor Inn, Oxford Street Darling, just I park and I walked in, it was just, you know, a room for seminars and things, and the minute I, I walked in, people came up, hello, and their eyes were bright and clear, and they were very lovely, and... Loving and intensely accepting, you walk into that, and then you're told gently, at first, that this affirmation is this wonderful thing. God calls it unconditional. But when you get through to it, you realise there's a conditionality to it. People aren't being affirmed and being beloved You have to join, and then you have to join and help, and then you must build together. And if you step out of line, all of a sudden you're on the outside of it, and then you quickly find out what you're doing wrong, and you come back. and And so, what do they call it? The mouse wheel continues. You you're a treadmill of conditional behavior for affirmation. The trouble is, you put God in that, you're you're left with a not just a, a social insecurity community insecurity, left with a spiritual insecurity.
2: Let's just take a quick step. It isn't that whole kind of biblical principles, the salvation thing, the same sort of thing where it's like, I love you unconditionally, but you have to give your life to me. So isn't that sort of a replica?
1: Of well, uh, how, uh, how deep do you want to go I, there? I know. I just had to say. I've got a very good answer for you, but it's just that... Well, look, I'll wait in, edit out or edit it in. But my, to me, you know, I see Jesus like a computer in, okay? But you can't connect your computer to the main street. You need an interface. And all you're doing is getting connected to the source of life. And you, you, you said you know about this conditional sense of God. Well, I actually don't think it looks conditional from the outside. But to me, I'm having Wi-Fi problems. And uh, I'm having real trouble getting a connection with my Wi-Fi. Like most people in the universe these days, you can't get proper Wi-Fi. You, know, you can't get a proper phone signal. You can actually plug your computer into the phone socket and you get perfect. Internet. Now, I'm just saying basically, it, what Christianity is, is being plugged in. It's the opportunity to plug into into life itself. Now it's not a conditional part about it. It's just it's just a cooperation of work walking forward and finding out what works and what doesn't work. But love is never switched off.
2: I should have uh, prefaced that by saying I meant the evangelical born again Christian model that you walked into (laughs) as well that Frank preached was I'll give you unconditional, I've got to give you unconditional the same sort of thing, or you burn in hell.
1: Well and I agree with you, and that's the way it's been presented. And the way it's been presented is conditional: God only response to the good stuff. We, do. what He response to the good, and He responds to the bad It's blessing or curses. Well, that's Jewish; that's Judaism.
2: Yes, yes, and, I put before you. you know, yeah,
1: and that is not what Christianity is. But it's far easier to to teach something that's conditional and make God somewhat. Angry with you if you do wrong, because then you can get anybody to do anything. Because all you have to do is say to them, I, "I think your life is not being blessed because you're not doing enough for God." And here's a list of the things God wants you to do. Oh, I'm involved? It's got dollars on it as well. Isn't that the perfect Ponzi scheme?
2: Yes, I'd like to rename it Ponzianity. Funny you should bring it up.
1: Well, like uh, I I've got to a point where I have said a lot of what we call Christianity. Is a, is Christless, it's an I entity. You can put anything ooh, in front of you. Oh, to...
2: I like that. It's
1: it's a blind entity or it's a tithing entity. Oh, oh, see, oh, oh. Hangar, you have it. Oh, Tanya, you if it's going to be hard for you to with me at the moment because I'm in a bit of a spiritual renewal. So, uh, and
2: are you, that are you writing?
1: Of, I've written the best songs that I've ever written in my life. Oh, wonderful.
2: In, in,
1: in the, last, in the last three months, They're not just songs, poems, photographs, my life is a, a creative explosion. And I feel like in reunited a lovely old friend who I've just been pissed off with for a while I and said... suddenly realized that Fine. I got him wrong and he was just trying to help. And I can be a stubborn little bastard.
2: I mean, this has been a bit of a theme for you throughout life with the spiritual milkshake, hey? Like it hasn't been straightforward. You and just like picket fence stuff.
1: Never drove a Holden Commodore with a double garage and just drove into a nice, comfortable Christian house, and everything was happy until the it. Yeah.
2: You've been quite open about that. You, I mean, you know, you shared a lot of that with people. Now, please bear in mind. We've got some some people who may not know all the details let's go let's go back to 78 right let's go. hey, you get? Good old days
1: What want mm-hmm. you to ask me a spiritual question That's, so your... I
2: mean go back well yeah I mean something else we had discussed a couple of weeks ago was I mean we need to talk for a few hours about the music but I guess we'll get there
1: we, we I'm I have all the time in the world now. Because I am now able to. I'm no longer silenced. What myself.
2: changed? What's changed now?
1: The change is that I don't think people think, the majority of people are not thinking that I'm an attack of the devil. They are standing back and saying that this organisation has simply attacked itself. And um, the reason why all of a sudden, it's in the eyes of the the media, as salacious as it all is, and the headlines are, you know, it's selling thousands of clicks, hundreds of thousands of clicks. The problem is we're discovering it's got feet of clay and it's falling all down by itself. No one is pushing this over. I remember saying to you 18 years ago, Tanya, when you were first coming up, just first writing your book back in 2005. It, you were an apprentice firebrand of the firebrand you are now. And I just said, be careful. Don't try and push this thing over. It will fall on you. It has to fall by yeah. itself. Yeah. And then we can commentate and say, we saw it happening, but there's we couldn't say it until the evidence is there. The yeah. evidence is there. In it. Yeah. And Channel 7 have just done two programs, and they've now renamed Kill some Pulse, and that is, that's tragic, but it's because, hey guys, I'm sorry, Phil and Lucinda, Brian and Bobby, and the rest of you, consequences, consequences. This is not spiritual. This is just simple consequence of poor decisions.
2: Just briefly, yeah. like precisely when did you feel that that, that evidence happened where you went, yeah, great. I can, I can exhale.
1: I think it was Carl Lentz uh, okay. and Brian's response to Carl Lentz and the awareness that there was something looked right and there was a pervasive air where people were starting to question this extraordinary, in the third of commas, move of God, and there were doubts arising. And I felt that were, I'd always wanted to speak. But every time I spoke, I, I, I got my head cut off. The, the things, and it still happens. And
2: By whom? Sorry. Where, like-
1: well, basically, Brian. But then because, because everybody feels sorry for Brian, because he's got the ability to make people feel sorry for him. And I felt for that, that suddenly the loyalty. So I didn't feel permission in myself. Maybe it was just that I felt permission in myself. And I did the podcast. Was up with, uh, with uh, I was a teenage fundamentalist people, and I just let yep. go. Then I did the Rich McHugh thing, and then the War Brothers bit of advocate thing, and the Discovery Channel thing, and yes, and I was seven That's thing, Wiggly really thing. And there's more to come because I finally can. I can look. I'm known. I, I, I've I've got a voice. I, I've written these songs, and I brought. Uh, these songs brought comfort to people. And, right. and there's enough goodwill for people to realize I'm not an attack of the devil. Far be it. I'm just trying to say, look, this is this is not a spiritual, this is not a not necessarily really spiritual judgment. We'll have to leave that up to God. This is just the simple consequences, as I said, it's the consequences of poor business management, elective accountability, getting you big for your boots. And people being scared to tell the truth to the point with covering up the truth. If you're covering up the truth, what are you doing? You must be lying. I mean, isn't it that simple? And if you're lying and you're teaching people that this is the truth and this is the word of God, but you're... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.
0: Normalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit juviderm.com.
1: Covering up the truth. Uh, but where does this lead you? In natural terms, let's forget about spiritual terms. And this is the co- these consequences We've seen it happen with politicians. We've, we've seen it happen with royalty. We've yep. seen it happen with yep. business finances. Yeah, tried that for full. And, and and
2: doesn't that make it even more stunning when there are so many now, you know, highly publicized incidents of people's bad behavior coming out, and yet, you know, they keep pushing this kind of denial, denial. And Jeff, please describe Mike Smith because he's like yes. a fifth beetle or something like
1: if you spoke he spoke of Beatles. Yes. He was there
2: he was, he was
1: there at the beginning. He was the, Brian, Michael was the theologian. Brian was the evangelist. Yeah. Michael, Michael was the associate pastor. And he, yes, he was a biblical, Michael. He loved his Bible. He, he was, he was biblical and he preached the Bible. He wasn't a motivational speaker, Fuck Robert, and Michael, I met Michael when he was uh, 16. He had long hair, parted in the middle and a, moustache and he'd sort of sit down like that and he'd look through his hair and then he'd pull his hair up and do like and to a 16 year old not grammarian you know boy from not very very conservative with bands on his teeth and he was intense i like i I wanted to be cool i certainly wasn't cool and so we became really really good friends so when michael had his born again experience it was so dramatic. I checked it out for myself, and that's when we talked again. And we go into a, 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 a culture that is conditionally accepting.
2: How old are you at this point? When you are you the same How age as I? him?
1: Uh, I'm a year younger. So, yep. Michael was born on December yeah, yep. the fifty four. On December the November the sixth, fifty five, and Brian is February seventeen, fifty four. So we are all the same age. Wow,
2: well, and your
1: memory, well, that brain. Yeah. You know, don't ask me about last night, but I can, I can remember guys. <laughs> and I, And times, you know. Yes, I've got a very long memory. You asked about Michael being the fifth idol. So Michael would do the morning services and Brian would be the evangelist at night. And Michael was a good preacher. But he was a goofy guy. He was, I used to say to him, but Michael, you are the only guy I've ever seen who gets tangled up in A cordless microphone that was my voice. If there was in- any stage that you might trip over a stage, if when he was walking around, he was just goofy and clumsy and very, very sincere Christian. And we're still in touch, very sincere Christian. One
2: just okay,
1: and a good and a good man who left Hills Christ, Christian Life Center in the very, very <laughs> early 90s, and one of the few people that was allowed to leave.
2: Where, why was he allowed
1: to? He said to Brian, right from the beginning, I want to pastor my own church. The deal with Brian was, uh, and Michael, Michael became the associate pastor and he ran a book business and I, the mother then bought the book business from him. And Michael became the associate pastor, but he would always straight up, with Brian, I want to have my own church. So I'm not here forever. When when God opens the door, i am got to walk through it. And that's precisely what he did. He went down to Hardest Christian Life Centre in Melbourne. Last person, last person. Brian found a very effective way to lock the door after that. Yeah. Well, you, he sent. You know, Brian had to. If you if if you were dispensable or in the way or you had other goals, he'd send you to build his kingdom elsewhere. It was all about Brian. Still is. All it's, right.
2: When do you meet him and what do you think? And then what happens and stuff. I first, how when old, when I first, how, sorry, how old are you and Mike when you go and sign up?
1: So no, I was I just turned twenty-three. Okay. Michael was just about to turn twenty-four and Brian was twenty-four.
2: You're also wow.
1: We're so young. So, so when I first so he the cover with the beautiful Bobby, who was a sweet, gentle, <laughs> integrity. and all, we always trusted Bobby to, to sort of, we hope that she was the great spiritual influence of, not just the spiritually, ca- the character of spirituality on Brian. And he'd get up, and give him a pulpit now and then. But you, the one thing you, you could say about Brian was never really a great orator, a great preacher. He was a tremendous motorist. He got you caught up in his enthusiasm. But in the early days, you, you certainly wouldn't think Brian was marked for greatness. In fact, you wouldn't think any of us were marked for greatness. I mean, when we finally started Hills Christian Life Center in uh, August of 1983, who would have dreamt that this bunch, this funny bunch of 20 people in their late 20s in, in, the, in the, the stick? In the Hills District, 12 years later, Taken would had a platinum called in the States and create absolute Christian music history in 12 years. Been a bunch of misfits.
2: The influence, the infiltration, uh, good or bad, I mean, whatever, is fascinating. I'm so glad you said that because, uh, you know, I've been saying that and I even saw Brian's brother in court. Uh, and I said, because he's a knock out kind of bloke. He doesn't yeah. say much. I've,
1: I've been in that grove once, you know. It was a Quite very interesting. There, there are the notables, uh, and then there, there are the others that have to perpetually uh, live in Brian's shadow. I
2: wonder how that's all organized as well, because his brother attended court every day. There wasn't much interaction at all. So, you know, they don't chat. It's like he was, you know, performing a duty or, or something or, you know, right. who knows.
1: And I've got a great relationship with my sister, always had a great relationship with my sister, we've always family. Brian, other than in the early days with uh, his elder sister, Brian has been the soul Houston.
2: Was... What do you mean by that?
1: Well, he, he was the Houston, Houston's. The,
2: <laughs>
1: he, he, he even eclipsed his dad in the last 10 years of his father's law.
2: Indeed.
1: And for the other other four, it must have been very difficult that the baby brother became so immensely powerful and didn't share that, did not, well, how do I put it?
2: Who would have thought? Well, because, like, I mean, because that's what I'm saying. I said to Graham. Right at the end, you know, because why not? He's standing there just whatever. Because he's a fireman by trade. So yeah. you can kind of tell he's probably spent a lot of time sitting and waiting patiently, you know, as they have to on shift.
1: Isn't it rather funny that another father preached about the fire of God, that Brian teaches about the fire of God? What's great about putting out fires? Oh, that's cute. Isn't that hilarious?
2: It that's... is all about hell fire and.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, well, I, you know, I, it's just rather odd that the the three men in the family all about fired. Right? Never thought about that before.
2: No, so I had said to him right at the end, I said, "Um, you may as well tell him. Look, tell your family, I, I uh, never set out to do anything because, I mean, I never thought he'd make it out of Windsor Road. Right? Did you? Know?
1: Well, no. Perfectly honest, and yeah, you win it all. When we first started, it, it it was, it was just a bunch of blokes having a lot of fun and music, really raw and rough. And then some of the churches around the area started to hemorrhage and they hemorrhaged their leadership team, they gave us leadership and experience. And then they hemorrhaged the music department, so they gave us musicians and singers, We suddenly gained some really, really good people and people with really good good experience the cameron wade to this earth you know you want to say who really put hillsong on the map forget my music it was cameron wade's productions ability i mean hello brian there's a great big foundation under your ministry with this new foundation of concrete right down on the rock and it's not hillsong it's cameron wade without people like cameron wade or bobby wallace because all these people from the past that have been all those out of the way, yeah. Fun because there were great foundations there. One more history, Tanya. We can talk. We talk about all the people, all the unknown uh, heroes. I mean, i just. It's sad that uh, Brian is on the record for tweeting that I'm that I'm delusional of a, a um, tension seeker. He means to check. Pull it back up, name
0: <laughs>
1: Well. I don't care who made up the name Hillsong. I have to point out to Brian. But what yeah. about uh, what about Darlene? What about Russell Frager? What about David Moyes? What about Adam Sinek on the drums? Stewie fell on the cajons. Mm-hmm. What about Ian and Lucy? Yes, Lucy was. What, yeah. but well, she yeah. wasn't what about? Bob? Bob? No, but what if ab- she wasn't? Bullock conducting the choir. What about Annabelle Taffy? What, what about Robbie Eastwood? What about Steve? Yes. Yeah. People, what about the late Alan Shire? Without those people, you, you just, you can't put a name to it. You know, Brian and Bobby did not pioneer Hillsong. They just did not. This huge okay. of by pioneered Hillsong. And Brian okay. was renamed Church Hillsong.
2: In fact, I was having this conversation the other day. Somebody like Phil Pringle at C3, he created that. These guys inherited it anyway from Frank.
1: I could give you that. Really loved Phil Pringle. is an he's a songwriter, and many, many, many of the very their earliest musical compositions Phil Phil wrote. And Christine was a singer. She recorded what? albums. It's so Phil and Christine came into a movement that they built artistically, not just by the force of personality.
2: Yeah, I'm not heralding one either. Yeah, no, no. I'm I'm just, the just,
1: difference just, between Hillsong and Hillsong is that you, meet, you can see in the, the birth and of Christian Frederick come see through. You could see that Phil and Christine did an awful lot uh, to contribute to the music and the, the culture of it. Where Brian, he was just very, he was very fortunate that that he kept finding really, really talented people and he used them, uh, and I suppose he, and yes, he and abused them until they were spent he took somebody else. Look, I've been come to this conclusion and you can use this or not. When I think of one single thing that Brian did to build that church, one thing I can't think of it anything. It, he preached, he 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 made people feel sorry for him. He was a great builder of enthusiasm, but he gathered around People that he bullied into submission to build something that he put his name That's right. really
2: right. There are no restrictions. However, we have noticed a pattern that around two a.m. when the bottle is empty, certain people jump on Twitter, and you know.
1: And in, in the end, now that that is just tragic for Brian. And it's,
2: and, and, you know, we we used to think he looks like he's drunk on Twitter. Turns out he was. And what I found fascinating about his tweets towards you is that out of the whole show, you know, some hour long show, that was his takeaway.
1: Well, he, and, he's and that, hurt that over me. you. That, and that to me, and we pointed out, Tom Tilly did a second episode, uh, a couple of weeks later on Spotlight and Channel 7. It's worth watching because it's well-documented.
2: It's on YouTube as well. For, um, yeah. If, uh,
1: the allegations that were made, that all happened under Brian's watch. I just happen to say, uh, I'm, I, I'll say it all the time, well, I've made up the name as We floated around my school in late 1984. a good year before Darlene turned up for the church. Uh, and, and it was just the name of the music team. Everybody uh,
2: knows.
1: Why would Roland find that the most horrible thing that he had to defend when the whole documentary was about the horror that Hillsong could become true, where they can quite legitimately put up Hell's fake, song.
2: Fake news. Fake news to him. And when you look at what happens when narcissists age, you would think they might mellow, but they... They dig down and the denial, as you've seen, has gone up. And it's that personal attack, that lack of impulse control that is fascinating. And yeah. you're the one that was taking up rent in his head.
1: But see, the thing that disappoints me even more than that is just the descent of Brian's character. Mate, what's happened to you? I remember.
2: Take me back. You're 24, he's 24. What's the friendship like? What's it like to be friends with twenty-five-year-old Brian and then you know, and Mike yeah. and then?
1: Well, we were, we were we were buying houses, having children,
2: right? Yeah, you had and a job. You all had jobs,
0: didn't you? I, I was
1: I was a cameraman at the ABC, and I, I've been there for ten years. Yeah. There. And that was quite you know quite significant. I was working on on the many of the main shows as the the leader of a camera Ten years, and that's so where, That's where I learned all my production experience. Where, Not back twenty-four, though. No. no so I worked uh, the ABC sorry. from seventy-five to eighty-five. Oh, and sorry. then, and then, uh, Hills Fish Alliance I came along. Uh, what was Brian like to be with? Lucky we had a lot of fun together. You know, we we'd share a meal, we'd watch videos together, we we'd clown around in the pool, we'd go to the beach together, we were social together, uh, as the church grew. Uh, Brian and I often would travel together, and I'd do a seminar, he would do a seminar. Uh, we used to do a question and answers. We'd sit beside each other, and and people throw questions at us, and we were flow, we were definitely a team.
2: I mean, you're a, a well-educated man with you know you're articulate and creative, and uh, uh, you know that you don't strike me as having a lot in common with this kiwi. It's very clear in some of this old footage that's coming up, you guys were very close friends, the group of partners initially at Hills. Good mates in your late 20s or,
1: yeah. or so. I remember his 30th birthday. I remember the bringing tape down the aisle in the, in the Bulkham Hills public school. Uh, you know, I remember his 40th birthday. We held it at uh, a venue at the Rock. Look, Brian, look, Brian, Brian was intensely lovable. Brian. You Sometimes he, he's not going to like this, but he doesn't like anything I say anymore, so it doesn't really matter. I'm not in the business of flotation. Flirt, he's Ryan, also got
2: so. other problems, you think, yeah. But mm. I mean,
1: I, right, I, he was vulnerable. He he knew he had a temper. He knew he, he was abrasive. He, he knew he could take me too far. And he, he was apologetic about the way he treated me in those days. He even came to me one day and said, Bobby came, Bobby came to me the day and he says, you can Treating Jeff this way, he's going to leave. Now, that was back in 19, I can tell you, 1988, 1989. I can remember it clear. It was up from one. So. so Brian he had this ability where you, you felt that Brian was a victim of his own weaknesses, and therefore you had to stand around him and be his armor bearer and help him through because his ranks outweighed his weaknesses, but his weaknesses needed to be supported because he was flawed. The problem for Brian is that uh, that too many people got around him and prophesied over him and laid hands on him, and he lost that gentle softness to to be malleable, have a malleable spirit, a malleable personality. And his arrogance and and self-belief and his fractured ego and insecurity took over to the point where he he couldn't be accountable because it was a threat. And we now see the, the Brian who... Uh, has been charged with a medically dangerous blood alcohol level. A obvious problem with prescription drugs. Which let's forget about the morality of it. It says this man is in emotional turmoil, and he's self medicating. So it's sort of like if this was business, if if he was a CEO or a politician. Right, he. You are really ill, you're about to have a breakdown, and we need to send you off to rehab. Just need to turn the lights off, put away the microphones, and take you. Need to be healed. But Brian is getting broken my car because this is this is my mate, this is my buddy. What I'm watching this guy, and no one is putting him in the in an emotional ambulance, turning on the siren and going, goodbye. You won't see see this guy for a while until he until he gets better. He's getting worse. What do you what do you see worse? What do you mean? what when, when you watch Brian on, on on some of his posts these days into a phone. I mean, what's happened to the the television studio, the lights, and all the Bible College students and the makeup and. And the people dressing him and propping him up in the chair and supporting him, he along with a phone, spitting into a phone. He's the ex global pastor. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is the most horrible descent to what's happening, and my heart reads to the man.
2: I mean, please, I just want to stay on this point for a moment because so many people wrestle with that. Not necessarily even Brian, but you know, that lovability of these people. And we will use Brian as an example because you can imagine, versus these horrendously cruel or criminal or, you know, cold, sociopathic actions that they've done or overseen or condoned or concealed or whatever. Tell me, tell me how that kind of, all, how do you throw that together? How do you, Override, I mean, you've had a personal example of that kind of destructive element of that man's personality, and yet he is your heart. And you're certainly not alone in that, is one of do you know what I mean? This is a, for people, and you're closest to us.
1: I think Brian and they,
2: what Well, Rick keep continues to resonate with
1: you. And then, yeah, I'll give you a really simple answer. I'm a serious follower of the life of Jesus. I cannot escape. I cannot escape his life and and turn my back on what he is, who he's asking me to be just because somebody's hurt me. I, I mean, it'd be easy to get angry. Well, of course I get angry, but it'd be easy no. to, to destroy. It'd be easy to, to get a poison. A poison pan out. It'd be easy for me to open a Twitter account and attack. I can't do that. So I don't know what happened to me. Why I've got a reservoir of love in my life, because I can be a totally anointed asshole. You know, double an asshole anointed. I don't know why, but I look at Bron and I just I, I can't. I feel compassion. I hate watching no. it. Chill.
2: Again, back to that, really, those strong friendships that were formed way back when it's so strong. I, you know, there are uh, your peers, are also, uh, you know, I've heard from other people that have concerns for him, or, you know. You'd
1: have to be blind, Charlie, not to concerns for him. I, the journalists that I've spoken to, in between when you turn the camera off, They're concerned for him. You know, they've got a job to present a story that sells newsprint or ratings or an audience. And so they do it in a tabloid way. There really hasn't been a very serious interview gone to press or gone to broadcast that is a very serious dissection of of what has got us us here. Tom Tilly, L. Hardy, uh, Rich McHugh intelligent people who can't help being concerned for the man.
2: They weren't hurt by him directly and you know, they weren't very close friends with him who were, you brain. know, suffered at the hands
1: of and yet, my first marriage broke up and I take 100% accountability for the 100% of the things I did. My children, it created emotional turmoil in their lives. There's no point being angry with what who said or what they said. We, we have to be wounded healers here. The healing that we receive inwardly, spiritually, and outwardly from friends and, and from just being more and vulnerable and saying, i I'm stuffed. The only person I can change is me. I can command other people to change. If I change, at least I heal myself. And then I can heal somebody else. We're so busy fighting each other. It's about time we just turned our victory, all of our anger on our souls and said, God's sake, be accountable to yourself. I
2: was still going to argue that because that's you.
1: No, that's not me. No, 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 that, that to me is just being an honest human being.
2: And there's more where that came from. We got cut off there. And then we got back to talking and then someone came to the door, so... There's like a little five-minute middle piece. I've already made, well, the AI made a video for us. It's hilarious. I'll put that out soon. Thanks for sticking around. Thanks for listening in. I hope you enjoyed it. It's real up-close and personal stuff. It's just incredible how young they were. I thought they were old. I remember being 14 and Papa said he was 28 and I think like, Jeff was 30 and like Brian was 32. I was like, no, 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 that's old, old, old. So that was really cool finding that stuff out. And I still got a good chunk for you for part two. Thank you so much for joining us at Leaving Hillsong to talk about Leaving Hillsong. Your company is so appreciated. If you've got any comments or feedback or stories or things you want to add or yeah, messages you want to send. I don't know, jokes or um, donations. I don't know. Speaking of donations, thank you so much to my Patreons if you want to be one of them. Find Living Hillsong on Patreon. Not really good at the Pentecostal push, but yeah, I've also got PayPal. The second episode will be with you as soon as possible. I'm just keen to come back for more. I wonder if I can talk him into a Q and a or something. Anyway... Thank you for being here. Please continue to like and subscribe and share. Share this with someone who you think might benefit from it. Because that's what we're here for. Connections and sharings and understandings. We'll do part two. And then it's the Countdown to the Verdict, August 17 so you know that this is the time that i'm going to tell you to be extra kind to yourself extra kind to other people bringing up a lot of stuff for a lot of people you know not necessarily it's not necessarily a hillsong thing this it affects a lot of people very interesting to hear that somebody who is on trial for concealing a pedophile was so very very loved and uh vulnerable apologetic who knew So don't forget to catch part two, which will be with you very soon. And keep leaving Hillsong. We'll talk soon. Bye.